Masechet Baba Kama, Daf Tet Zayin. We have a, a long Mishnah that's going to involve us uh, from to the end of this uh, Perek and into the next Perek. The uh, next Perek is going to elaborate in the Mishnayot on um, all the sections of this Mishnah. This Mishnah itself has multiple sections that we're going to have to keep track of. So here we go. Chamisha Tamim Chamisha Mu'adim. There are five examples of Tam animals that would pay half and five examples of mu'ad animals that were uh, that would pay a full amount and again this difference between tam and mu'ad applies only to goring uh, uh, that is keren okay now we're gonna have to identify what are the five what five is it talking about so we'll see a few in the gemara a couple of different ways to read this mishnah so let's see habema enamu'edet lo ligach velo ligof velo lishoch velo lirboz velo libot so an animal is not considered forewarned, meaning it's considered tam from at, at the beginning, you know, when, from when it's born. Um, it's, not a, it's not a usual activity for it to do the following five things. It generally does not gore, push, bite, crouch, or kick. Those are the five things that would be considered tam for those activities, um, unless it does it many times. But if it didn't do it many times, and it was not forewarned, that's tam, and it would pay half. Okay, I'm trying to read the Mishnah simply, and the way the Gemara at first assumes that it is read. So that's the five tam, and now the five mu'ad examples are, uh, number one, So if an animal goes and eats uh, in someone else's field, um, because Shen does not apply in the Shut HaRabim, right? The Goring is in the Shut HaRabim. Uh, we're going to get into this more exactly where this is talking about. But Shen, let's assume, is in the, in the, is, is in the uh, land of the Nizak. And even the first time it does it, it's already has, you already have to pay a full amount. It's forewarned regarding Shen because that's a usual activity. And similarly, if an animal is walking and it breaks things while it's walking, it also have to pay a full amount because that's what it does. Again, in the Shut HaRabim, it's okay because you shouldn't leave things in the middle of Shut HaRabim. Uh, but if it's in private property, uh, then it's my ox, it's, it, and it's my ox, then I'm fully responsible. That's number two. Three is, this is for goring. In other words, if any of these activities, which are all under the category of goring, and it does it many times, and it's forewarned. Then this becomes into the, this turns into the category of muad. Um, that's third, fourth. Shor hamazik b'shut hanizak, a shor that causes damage by goring in the property of the nizak. Um, even if it didn't do it before, it's for it's a short time in terms of being a shut harabim. It would only pay half. But if it if it's in the property of the nizak, so then who uh, the nizak says, who asked you to bring your short into here? This is my private property. Then I have to be more careful if I bring if I allow my ox to go into someone else's property and it causes damage even in a goring way, which is unusual, still I am fully responsible. As fourth and fifth is Ha'adam. Human beings are always for always forewarned. We have brains, we have to know right and wrong, and no one needs to warn us and say, hey, you shouldn't punch people, you shouldn't cause damage, you know, don't do that again. 
Human beings are uh, considered forewarned. All right, so that is the simple way of reading this Mishnah, that there's five Tam and five Mu'ad, and the first paragraph is all the Tam animals, and then the second paragraph are the Mu'ad examples, um, even though uh, there is overlap, but this is talking about if it does goring and it didn't do it before, but here it includes Shen and Regel, which is different from goring, and then the other example, the Shor Mu'ad and Shemazik are goring, but they're in particular cases of it was, it already did it many times, or in the Shutanizak, then it is considered for one has to pay a whole full amount. Whereas this, uh, uh, the first the first paragraph is talking about where it was not forewarned, and this in the shoot had been. All right, so that's uh, going to be our first reading of the Mishnah. And that's the first two paragraphs. Then we have another add-on paragraph that talks about other items. So this presumably is not part of the five and five count there. And it says, Yeah, these are six items, so this wouldn't fit with the five anyway. Um, so this is a separate list. Um, now, uh, when we talked about the distinction above between short time and short Mu'ad, that's talking about domesticated animals like an ox or other uh, domesticated animals like a sheep and goats. Uh, domesticated, domesticated animals cannot live without humans. You know, things like uh, sheep, they these uh, uh, evolved uh, together with human beings. Uh, if you leave a sheep out in the wild, it will uh, will die immediately. Someone will, something will come and eat it. Also, you know, it, it needs to be sheared. They can't, they don't go to the barber. They can't shear themselves, right? They depend on human beings. And human beings depend on these animals, they use them for food and for work in the field. So those are domesticated, and therefore they can, they're easier uh, to uh, control by human beings. But these following are wild animals, and so therefore, um, that by definition, uh, they are... Uh, they are wild and dangerous, and so that includes a wolf and a lion, a bear, a leopard, and a baldelas uh, might be uh, a cheetah, a hyena, uh, that are quite scary. Uh, some say a marner or a polecat. Polecat doesn't look quite that scary, at least not in this picture, uh, but it is in any case a wild animal. And also a snake. Oh, so these are Mu'adin. If I own one of these and it causes damage, I can't say, oh, I, I didn't know my lion was going to go in and uh, eat your uh, sheep, right? Uh, oh, bad lion. Okay, now I, thanks for letting me know. You can't say that because uh, that's its nature is to be violent and cause damage. Rabbi Lazar says about five of these, the first five of them, if they are cultured, right, you take your lion uh, or wolf to the opera and you tame it. Um, there are such things as uh, lion tamers and uh, uh, bear tamers. And um, so if you have that kind of bear and you're able to uh, acculturate it, domesticate it, even though they're not really domesticated animals, but um, if so, uh, then they're not forewarned. In other words, if they have don't have any history, they have history of being calm and tame, then you're not a respons 100% responsible, be like a short time. However, to be as that agrees that a snake is always forewarned. There's no way to tame a snake. Okay, very interesting. Now, uh, uh, a question on the first, at the beginning of the Mishnah. 
Hashem moedet lechol, michlal de bechaser hanizak askinan, vekatane behema ena moedet, leshalem kule, aval hasinezek meshalemet, mane, rabanani damrem, shuna keren bechaser hanizak, hasinezek hu dimshalem. So the opening, we're assuming, first of all, that the five and five is talking about the first paragraph, or tam, and the second paragraph are the mu'ad, and so therefore the first and second paragraph are linked with each other, and therefore they should all be talking about the same case. Now, since it says over here that Shen is Mu'ad, you have to pay full amount for Shen if it eats what is appropriate to it. Um, uh, that, that Eating appropriate to it means eating things that, are, that animals usually eat. Um, so since it talks about that, well, where is that true that a Shen would have to pay? Mu'ad um, Mu'ad That means it's talking about in the property of the Nizak, because if my animal goes and eats some produce in the Shu Tarabim, I would not, leave, not be liable. So therefore, we can assume that this, the second paragraph is the Shu Nizak. Good. Now, um, the first paragraph that says, Behema is not Mu'edet, uh, is uh, to pay all of it, um, but uh, it uh, does pay uh, some of it, right? That would be the first paragraph that said, here, Behema ena Mu'edet lo ligach. Behema is considered tam, when it comes to goring, um, so that doesn't have to pay uh, everything, but it does have to pay something. That's why it's listed here at, at all. Um, so you have to pay chasinezik. So now we see that since the second paragraph is talking about Vishut Hanizak, that means, and it's linked to the first paragraph because it's five and five. Um, it's linked by the heading. And therefore, the first paragraph is also Vishut Hanizak. And it says, in Vishut Hanizak, a short tam will pay only half. Well, whose opinion is that? Mane Rabanani Damre Mishuna Keren Bachasara Nizak Hasineze Kudim Shalem. Yeah, you see, there's a machloket. Everyone agrees in Rishut Rabim that the distinction between Tam and uh, Muad for goring. Uh, that time is half and uh, Mu'ad is whole. But there is a machloket whether that also applies to Reshut HaNizak. Rabbanan say it does, right? And they say Keren is when some when an animal does something in an unusual way, Mishuna. And if that happens in Reshut HaNizak, then the owner of the uh, uh, goring ox pays only half. And so uh, that the first paragraph here, we're assuming the whole Mishnah is about Ishut HaNizak, and the first paragraph says that he pays only half, is considered Tam. So the first paragraph must be Rabbanan. So far, so good. Here's the problem. Ema sefa. Shura mu'ad v'shura mazik v'shut ha-nizak v'adam atan l'rabi tarfonda mar mishuna keren v'chasad ha-nizak nezik shalem hu d'mishalem. The second paragraph, enlisting the five things that are mu'ad, says shura mu'ad. Okay, that could be in the shut ha-rabim anywhere. If it's mu'ad, then you pay a full amount. But the next thing is the shor of the mazik that's found in the, uh, in the domain of the nizak. And this is an example of Mu'ad, where you pay a full amount. Well, if you pay a full amount in the Shutan Nizak, that is, uh, is talking about, that's assuming the opinion of Rabbi Tarfan, who says that the unusual act of goring in the Shutan Nizak, one pays um, full amount. So what's going on here? It seems like the first paragraph is Rabbanan, that assumes in the Shutan Nizak you pay only half. And uh, the second paragraph is a bitarfon that says in the Shutanizak you pay a full amount for goring. So how could we have two paragraphs back to back with different authors? And the answer is in 
דהאמר לרשות שמואל לרב יהודה, שיננה שבוק מתניתין, ותא אבטרי, ושר רבנן, ושפה רבי טרפון. Indeed, שמואל told his student רב יהודה, sharp one, that was a, a, a nickname for רב יהודה, who was very sharp, right? It says, uh, forget, the, forget the Mishnah and come follow me. In other words, don't forget the Mishnah. Forget your difficulty about the Mishnah and here follow my interpretation. In fact, this Mishnah is, uh, is compound. The first paragraph is the opinion of Rabbanan and the second paragraph is a bitarfon. I know it doesn't say names here, but it's putting it together to give a list of, you know, all things that people consider Tam and all things that someone considers uh, uh, Mu'ad. And even though it's not, you know, it's machloket between what uh, what should belong in the first and what belongs in the second. So still the Mishnah wanted to include lots of cases that according to Rabbanan, this case would be, uh, 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 this would be Tam. According to Bitarfon, it would belong in the second paragraph of Mu'ad. And yes, that's a plausible reading of the Mishnah. Okay, that's interpretation number one of the Mishnah. Uh, now we're going to see a second one. Rabbi El Azar Mishmed Rav Amar. Kula Rabbi Tarfon. He, I can explain the entire Mishnah according to Rabbi Tarfon that says this full payment for um, in, in the Shut HaNizak. Aresha Bahasar Amyuchedet Leperot Lehad Mehen Velazeh Velazeh Dishvarim Delegabe Shen Havya La Hasar HaNizak the Bilazad explains that in fact we can explain the entire Mishnah is all according to the Bitarfon that if it was in the Shut HaNizak then you'd have to pay the full amount no matter what. Now how do you explain the first paragraph versus the second paragraph? In fact both of these paragraphs, that's what it means this is Resha, as opposed to the one about wild animals. The first two paragraphs are talking about the following case of a courtyard that is belongs to only one of them, only the Tenenizak, with regard to the right to put produce there. But it belongs to both of them with regard to the right to bring their oxen there. Since it belongs to only one of them, only one of them had the right to bring their produce there. When it comes to Shen, my animal, going in there, which I was true, I was allowed to bring the animal in there, um, but only you had exclusive right to have your fruit there. And therefore, when it, when it, when it comes to Shen, which is particularly, particular damage to your fruit, that's considered the same as Chasad HaNizak. Since you have exclusive right to bring your fruit there, so therefore I'm responsible as if it were solely your property, and that explains why in this uh, part, that's considered Mu'ad, um, and that's con- because if it was Rishut HaRabim, Shen is, does not apply. So therefore that has to be Rishut uh, nizak because you have exclusive right to it. However, regard, um, uh, uh, however regarding Keren, it's considered a shutarabim because it belongs to both of us. It's not actually a public domain. It's a shared domain. We, me and you share it, but we both have a right to bring our oxen there. There, since we both have a right to bring oxen, so regarding goring, it's the same as shutarabim. And even a bitarfon agrees that in a shutarabim, there is a distinction between tam and muad. And therefore, this first paragraph here is talking about when it's tam, in a shared property, but we can both bring our oxen there, which is the same as Shutta Rabim, I would, I, I would only pay half. And, uh, and then uh, the next part is saying, oh, by the way, if it's Mu'ad, or if it's in actually um, in the Shutta Nizak, uh, a place where only, you have exclusive right totally to bring your short in for everything, and then, then I would have to pay a full amount. 
Um, and so we can reconcile that both halves are talking about a bitarfon as long as we limit it to this particular case. Okay, that's the second interpretation. Rav Kana says, I repeated this teaching that we just saw of Rabbi Elazar in front of Rav Zevid who lived in Nehar so when Zivid heard this, he said, Can you really explain the entire Mishnah according to the Bitarfon? Look how it says in the beginning of the second paragraph, when regarding Shen, it says, Shen is considered forewarned only if my ox that's eating your produce um, is eating that which is fitting to, for it to eat, meaning usual food, which is a, a, the usual way of it causing damage through Shen. So that means it's, it's um, liable to pay a full amount only if it's eating what it normally eats, doing its normal activity. Um, but that implies that if it's eating unusual food, things that it doesn't usually eat, usually eat, then I would not pay a full amount. Now, if it's to be tarfan, he says that eating, eating something that is unusual, that falls into the category of keren, of goring, even though it's eating, but the definition of shen is not simply that it's eating. The definition of shen is something that uh, the animal regularly does. It's a normal thing for an animal to do, so it's a normal way of it causing damage. Whereas an unusual way of causing damage is categorized under Shen, because animals don't usually gore. So if it's a bitarfon, why would you have to add this limitation? As it says, uh, Shen uh, is liable if it's eating that which it usually eats. According to the bitarfon, even if it eats something that it doesn't, doesn't usually eat, so what? So that would be goring. According to bitarfon, if it's in the shutanizak, um, then he still pays a full amount. So it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to add only if it eats, eats that which it is accustomed to. So therefore, Rav Zavid rejects the opinion of Rabbi El-Azhar and offers a third interpretation of this Mishnah. In fact, we can explain the whole Mishnah according to Rabbanan who says that the Shutanizak goring would be half, a half payment. And also, we have to fill in some words. And this is what it means. In fact, the opening line over here is not referring to paragraph 1 and then paragraph 2, but rather, this 5 and 5 are all referring to the first paragraph. And it was saying, these five, if they never had a history, they're tam. If they'd had a history of doing it before and we warned the, the owner, then they are mu'ad. So this, that's all referring to five. And then, finished paragraph, new topic, new unit. Here's another set of things, another, another laws. But by doing that, we're, un, we're unlinking the first two paragraphs. So in fact, they can be talking about different cases. And so uh, here's what it means, right? It means that the, uh, uh, um, uh, the, there, are five, uh, there are five things that are tam, and those very five things, if they were forewarned, they would be mu'ad. 
And now, new paragraph, Shen veregel mo'adin metechilatan, vehechan hadatan b'chasar anizak. Shen veregel, they are mo'ad from the beginning. And where would they be, uh, where, where would one be liable for the, as, as forewarned animals, in which case you'd have to pay, and if it's in chasar hanizak. In other words, here's how we're explaining this Mishnah. The beginning is its own paragraph, right? There's five things that are tam, and these are shod, uh, that gores, and the, all these five are types of goring, because they're all unusual. And here, if uh, the animal, and this is all in the Shutarabim, although this is all according to Rabbanah, so it could be in the Shutanizak, it really doesn't matter where. And if it's tam, then we're going to pay half. And these five, if they are mu'ad, then you'd pay a full amount. Okay, that's case number one, and this is the five and the five. The, 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 here, the themselves. Now the next paragraph says not talking about first paragraph is about goring. The second paragraph is entirely not about goring. And this just talking about Shan and the Degel. And then the next two are also about Shen and the Degel. And says, listen, in, regarding Shen and the Degel, uh, Shod is considered Mu'ad, and this type of payment only applies in the Reshut Nizak, in the uh, domain of the Nizak. So these are all explanations of Shen and the Degel. And this too has to be Rabbanan, because it says only if it takes what it is fitting for it, or it does it in a, uh, it's a, in a usual way. Um, but if it was in an unusual way, if it eating eating unusual food, uh, then that would actually fit under Keren, which according to the Banan, where in the Shutanizak would be only half payment. And so you see, this cannot be the Bitarfon. Therefore, the entirety uh, of the Mishnah is explainable as Rabbanan, as long as you're willing to say that the Tam and Mu'ad here of Goring are, is one thing. And this whole paragraph is talking about Shen, and Regel, including this line here. Okay, so this is uh, this reading, and we are going to now challenge it because of this line, if we say that this is not, this is talking about Shen and Regel, we're going to run into a problem. Um, later on, this is uh, in the next Pedic, that um, in the next pedic, it's going to elaborate on all the different cases in this Mishnah. And over there, it's going to get to this line of Shodamazik Bashut Hanizak, and it says, How so? Let's give some examples. And it gives examples of Goring. See, of Goring. Now, if you say that um, this uh, second, the second paragraph in our Mishnah, that line, Shomazib Shonizak, is talking about goring, which was that was the uh, original interpretation was, and seems to be you know, the simple reading if you read five and five. So this uh, this is talking about goring, then that Mishnah makes sense. Mishum hachikatani kesad. That's why it says later on how so, and it gives examples of goring. Eliamat laidiba my kesad. But if this line, if the whole second paragraph is talking about shen and regel. And Shodam uh, is talking about uh, Shen and Regel only and not Goring, then how could you explain that Mishnah later where it says an example of this line is in fact Goring? And therefore, sorry, this second explanation is uh, rejected. Uh, sorry, that was the third one. 
The first one is that uh, the Hudesha and Sefa are different authors. The second interpretation was it's all Rebi Tarfan. The third one is that it was all Rabbanan. And now we have a fourth explanation of the Mishnah. According to this explanation, the Mishnah actually, as we're going to see, is both according to Rabbanan and Rebi Tarfan. Uh, it's going to explain why, where they are different um, in the middle of it. So, Ela Amar Ravina, Chasura Mechasra Katane. Yes, so this Ravina also has to say there's missing words or we have to insert in more interpretation into the Mishnah. Uh, a lot of this is going to be similar to the previous one. The, this is all the same so far. The opening, the first paragraph, is all, all five, the, the opening uh, line is referring only to the first paragraph. There are five animals that initially they are Tam, but if they do it repeatedly, then they will become Mu'ad. So that's the first paragraph, the five types of Gori. That's the first paragraph. Second paragraph, and Shen and Regel, however, are never Tam. They uh, start off as being Mu'ad. This is still the same as the previous interpretation. Now here's where it gets different. And these are cases where everybody would agree that it is Mu'ad. There's no distinction between Tam and Mu'ad. For Shen and Regel, you have to pay the full amount. However, uh, if now going back to goring, if it is goring in the property of the nizak, there we have a machloka the bitalfon and rabbanan. In other words, if we look back here at the uh, original wording, right? So you have the first paragraph, that's the five and five, where it makes a distinction between tam and mu'ad. And then let's know that shen and regel, they are mu'ad uh, from the beginning. That's why they're short mu'ad. No matter what, they're always short mu'ad. And then, period. Um, there's another category here of where that would be a machloket between between Rabbanan and Bitarfon. So that's a different category. And then Adam is a yet another category. Right? So these, because the five and five are only referring to here, so then the rest are all other lists of different types of uh, damages that each have their own characteristics. And the characteristic of this one here is that it is subject to a machloket. And even though machloket it is not all here, or it's just listing it. And the point of this Mishnah is to be a bunch of bullet points because it, they, they, we are going to elaborate on every line of every phrase in the next paragraph. So that's okay. Um, so uh, that's uh, that's that line. And then look how Ravinah is brilliant because he's explaining not only these two paragraphs, but even the next one. Because the next one says, And besides these cases of Mu'ad, there are yet other cases of Mu'ad. And that and those are, And these are always Mu'adim, unlike the first paragraph that they can be Tam. They start off as Tam and they become Mu'ad. Um, these are Mu'ad, no, from their birth. Good. So that is Ravina's fourth and last explanation. And in case you think that we're forcing ourselves back into it, actually, we have a Braita that has, says exactly this. This is a Braita that's expanding and explaining our Mishnah. And it says, There are five types of activities that if an animal, a, a domesticated animal does them, um, they would they'd be tam and you only have to pay half. Although those very animals, if they are forewarned and they do those activities, then it would be mo'ad and you have to pay the whole amount. 
Next, Shen Veregel Moadim Etchilatan, Vezeu Shora Moad. Regarding Shen and Regel, uh, those very same and all animals are forewarned from their birth, and everyone agrees that th- those are considered Shora Moad. Another category, Shora Mazik Beshutanizak, Machloker Bitarfon Verabanan, if it has, has to do with goring or some unusual uh, thing, uh, type of damage, and it's in the property of the Nizak, that's going to be a Machloker Bitarfon and Rabanan, which will be elaborated upon in the next pedic. And there are another uh, bunch of uh, animals that are mu'ad no matter what. That statement of Ravina as being a fourth explanation of our Mishnah, that was one version of what he said. Uh, but there is another version that Ravina actually was coming in response to a contradiction within the Mishnah as follows. So it's the same statement of Ravina, but he was answering a different question. It'll end up being uh, the same interpretation of our Mishnah, uh, but answering a different problem, which is, In the beginning of the Mishnah, it says there are five animals that are Tam and five animals that are Mu'ad. And that's it. There's only five animals that are Mu'ad or five uh, uh, scenarios that are Mu'ad. Uh, that's it. But look at the end of that Mishnah where it lists six different animals that are all Mu'ad. So it should have, uh, should have listed many more um, uh, types of scenarios and animals that are Mu'ad. So how can you explain the contradiction between the beginning that says only five and then the end that lists a lot more? Ravina explains, oh, you have to insert the following glosses to explain. There are five animals that start off when they're born being tam, but only if they have a history, then they become mu'ad. And uh, those, it's not five animals, five actions that if domesticated animals do, then they uh, can switch from Tam to Mu'ad, and those are the following actions. And so this, uh, these are the actions, um, are all regarding Goring. And then the Mishnah goes on and says, oh, and by the way, there's Shashen Veregel, that even a Shor is going to be Mu'ad from its beginning, and all that is talking about a Shor. Oh, good. If it ends up talking about goring, and it's not in Shutrabim, but rather in the Shutanizak, that's going to be a machloket. Good. So all that was the different cases where a shor, a domesticated animal, would be, could be tam and could be mu'ad. And then there's another category. And yet, there are other animals that also are mu'ad, uh, but they're Mu'ad all the time, and then it lists the other six animals. So you see that Avinah's answer is very good, because not only does it answer the original question we had, is this, is this a bitafon or a banan? But it also answers this question of the seeming contradiction between the beginning and the end of the Mishnah. And furthermore, there's a Braita that says exactly the same words. So Avinah uh, solves a lot of problems. We now go back to the beginning of the Mishnah and explain velo lidbos. When the Mishnah says that a a shod is not muad in terms of crouching, in other words, if it does damage by crouching, that's a uh, uh, that's a subsidiary of court of keren, and there's an unusual um, act for it to um, purposely. Uh, crouch to destroy something, and therefore that is a short time uh, the first three times it does it. 
אמר רבי אלעזר, לא שנו אלא פחין גדולים, אבל פחין קטנים אורכהו. רבי אלעזר limits the משנה's leniency and says, this is only if it's a large vessel, that's weird. for an animal to uh, purposely destroy a large vessel by crouching on it. But if it's a small vessel, then that is its, is its usual way. And therefore, it would not be called tam. That would be uh, in the category of trampling of regel. Lema misayale, or it seems that we could, should be able to support Rabbi Elazar's statement from the following beraita. It says, Abema mu'edet lalechet arka ul shaber ul ma'echet ha'adam veta behema veta kelim. An animal is considered mu'ad if it's walking in its usual way, um, uh, and it, uh, so that it can go break or crush a person or an animal or vessels. And so here, this is talking about crushing vessels. And yet it says that the animal is uh, mu'ad. Um, so this seems to be a contradiction to what we just said before. If you say it's talking about all vessels, however, if the Mishnah is talking about only large vessels, then and this Badaito is talking about small vessels and saying that it is the usual way for it to destroy small vessels. And that's why it's considered mu'ad. Um, because that would be like Regel. And so this would be, uh, this could support what Rabbi Al-Azhar said. But we answer not necessarily. Dilma min hasad. Maybe over here when it's talking about crushing, it's talking about crushing from it, from its side. It rubs, uh, it crushes them as it's uh, going against a wall and smashing them. Not necessarily by crouching on top of them. So it could be that it's not talking about crouching at all. And therefore it's not necessarily a proof. All right, that's all one version of, one version of that discussion. Another version that's uh, very similar. Okay, similar uh, um, a topic, but actually a different conclusion according to this. Rabbi Al-Azhar does not want to limit the Mishnah. And he says, don't think that the Mishnah is only talking about large vessels uh, where it's definitely not its way. But you might think that small vessels, uh, yeah, that, that is a way of animals uh, to destroy small vessels by crouching on them. No, don't say that. It's not true. Even small vessels, it's not its way. Animals don't, don't crouch upon big or small vessels. And therefore, it will be considered a short time. And no matter what, we challenge that now with the same with that brayta metibe. Hold on, here it says that an animal is considered muad when it comes to crushing a person or animals or vessels. So here it's muad, which sounds like um, it's uh, that it is a usual way. says no. This is talking about where it's. Um, Rebbe could answer this, so it's in contradiction that this Beraita is talking about where it crushes it by on, on its side as it's walking past uh, near a wall. Um, that is a usual way, and therefore that's considered Mu'ad. But crouching on it, no matter how big it is, is considered an unusual way. A third version of that uh, same discussion, some start off with a contradiction. And use it as an answer. Tenan velolidibots. Uh, our Mishnah says uh, Mishnah is considered tam when it comes to uh, crouching. 
says crushing uh, all, all these things, including vessels, is considered muad. says not a problem. Mishnah is talking about large vessels. That's unusual, and therefore that's like keren, uh, which uh, we consider a tam. Whereas the Braita is talking about small vessel, <coughs> small vessels, and that is its usual way. Okay, uh, Mishnah uh, mentioned a whole bunch of animals that are wild, Hazev, Hadi, and so on. So my Bardelas, what does Bardelas refer to? Amar of Yudah Nafreza, he says Nafreza. My Nafreza, what is Nafreza? We don't know what that is either. Amar of Yosef, Apa, it's an Apa. It's a type of hyena. Uh, now we have a challenge to this, to Rav Yosef's identification of the Bardelas and the, the hyena and the Mishnah with an Apa, because look at this Braita, Metiber, Bimeir Omer Afa Sabor, Bielazar Omer Afa Nachash, Amar of Yosef, Saboa, Zo Apa. We have a Braita that adds a couple of things to the Mishnah, that Bimeir says, in addition to the wild animals listed in the Mishnah, we should add also a savoa, a hyena. And Rabbi Elazar adds the uh, snake. And Rabbi Yosef said, what is a savoa? It's an apa. So he's identifying it as a, as a hyena. So here's the question. Rabbi Yosef has two, has two identifications. Over here he says that a bardelas is an apa. And here he says that a uh, savoa is an apa. Well, which one is it, right? Is uh, Why are you calling uh, this? Uh, why would you add a hyena twice if a bardelas is already an apa, and that's mentioned in the Mishnah, uh, then what does that mean that uh, Bimeir is saying also that Savoa, then that's also an apa. Why, why would you add an apa if the Mish- an apa is already mentioned in the Mishnah? And the answer is like Kashia Kan Besavoa Zachar Kan Besavoa Nekeba. No, they're talking about different kinds. The Baraita of Rabbi Meir is talking about a male hyena, whereas the Mishnah was already included a female hyena. They're different, and, and, and you, you might you know you might have thought that maybe only the female hyena is wild, but not the male. And Rabbi Meir says also the Savoa, which is the male hyena, and so that's why that's what he's coming to add. Tanya. And how do we know anything about this, the male hyena, and how uh, it's also wild? Because look what this Braita says about it. Period. Uh, you see that there's a distinction between the male and female hyenas because, look, a, a, a savoa, zachar, a male hyena, um, after seven years can metamorphize somehow into a bat that uh, eats insects. And after seven other years, it turns into a bat that eats uh, is herbivorous. A herbivorous bat seven years turns into a, th- a thistle, which turns into a briar and a different kinds of thorns. And the briar after seven years turns into a demon. So you see from this Badaita that the Savoa Zachad in particular is uh, very dangerous and is, is different from uh, if it was the same, it should, say, should, should say, just say Savoa. But specifically, Savoa Zachad has this characteristic that it can turn into all these other dangerous items and therefore is, uh, needs to be listed separately. Uh, okay, there is um, no scientific basis that we know of that um, these things turn into each other, um, but I think the 
idea of it is not meant to be literal, but rather that um, all these things are very dangerous and um, it's equating uh, the danger of each one of them, or maybe even that becomes more and more dangerous. Um, and then that way shows a linkage, a thematic linkage between all this that they share this similar characteristic. And then since we're talking about one thing change turning into another, uh, another list is that she draw a person's spine uh, after he dies, uh, supposedly, um, and, uh, um, after seven years, turns into a snake. I guess they have similar shapes and uh, uh, similar kind of movements. However, we qualify that that's only about talking about a person who does not bow during modim. It's kind of a punishment uh, that one is supposed to bow and, and raise, rise up like a snake. If someone does not bow and rise up uh, during modim, it means he's not being thankful and so as a uh, as a punishment for that person not showing his gratefulness uh, to his creator so his spine will turn into a snake Okay, now that you quoted this, but I thought let's analyze it. According to the Bimeir, we're adding a hyena, and the Bialazar omed af hanachash Bialazar is adding a nachash. Hold on, v'hanantenai the Bialazar omed bismanchen bnei tarbut and amuadim anachash muad leolam. In the Mishnah already, the Bialazar talks about the snake, and he says. Regarding all the other animals, it depends on whether they are acculturated uh, uh, lions and um, and hyenas, and uh, right, they wear tuxedos and go to the opera, and so they're very cultured and they're domesticated. Uh, then they're considered tam, um, but the nachash is muad for sure. So you see, in that, according to the Mishnah, um, Rabbi Elazar is making a distinction. He's arguing on Tanakhama and just making a distinction. It says all the other ones they can be tam or muad. You have to test them out. Whereas a Nachash is definitely Mu'ad. However, according to the Braita, where the Bielazar says also Nachash, that means he's adding Nachash to the list and it would be the same as all the others. Um, so in this Braita, he's saying Nachash is the same as all the others. But here in the Braita, he's making a distinction between Nachash and all the others, that a Nachash is definitely and not the other others or not. So we answer Tane Nachash. You're right. In the Braita, don't erase the word Af. The Bielazar says Nachash. In other words, According to Tanakama, uh, those, uh, those, all those um, uh, wild animals are mu'ad for sure. There's no test. You can't acculturate them. Uh, you can't domesticate them. And so Rabbi Elazar says, I want to add Nahash. That is for sure. But Rabbi Elazar, in fact, disagrees with the others and thinks that the others, it's possible to domesticate them. Amar Shemuel, Ari b'reshut ha-rabim, daras v'achal patur, taraf v'achal hayav. Shemuel says a very interesting uh, limitation on about the lion, um, even though it says the lion is mu'ad, well, actually it depends how he uh, kills and uh, how he kills his prey. When it's in the Shut Rabim, if it claws its prey and it kills it by clawing and only then eats it, well, that is its usual way of eating, and therefore that's like shen and uh, eating eating uh, you know food that's in the shutarabim. If an animal does that, patur, that's not a problem. Uh, he's not liable. But however, if the lion goes and taraf, it tears it apart and kills it with its teeth first, and then eats it. That is an unusual way of the animal to do that, and therefore that would be under keren. Keren in the Rishut is hayav. So the first way, clawing, 
and killing, since that's the usual way, that's considered Shen, which is Patur and Rishut HaRabim. The unusual way of killing, that's Keren, and is Chayav in Rishut HaRabim. Good. Now, let's explain. Darash v'achal patur, kevan dorchel midras hava lekemo shechla perot v'irakot, v'ale shen b'rishut harabim u'patur, taraf lav orachayahu. If it claws it and eats it, patur, because that's its normal way to claw uh, to death and then eat it. So it's the same as if, if it ate fruits and vegetables. Uh, animals eat fruits and vegetables. And so, if it does that in shut harabim, that damage is considered normal, and therefore it's under the category of shen and is patur, Whereas if it uh, tears it apart first with its teeth, that's unusual, that's keren, and that would be liable, and it's always muad, so it would be liable the full amount. We ask, Hold on, is that true that an animal killing with its, with its teeth is not a normal way of eating? Pasuk in Nahum says, a lion tears, which uses the word toref, which means with its teeth, for its young. So you see, that's a normal way. We answer, no, that's bishvil gorotav. Exactly, if it's eating for itself, then it's going to use its claws and then and eat. That's the normal way. Um, but here, the animal is, uh, uh, when it says, toref, the reason why it's do, using its uh, teeth and not its claws is because it's not eating. It's actually killing it in order to bring it to its young. And so that's why this pasuk is not talking about an animal that's eating. And similarly, the rest of the pasuk that describes the animal, the, a lion doing things for for also for other reasons, not for eating, uh, it's uh, uh, not for its own consumption. Mechanek le livotav it strangles for its lioness. Bishvil livotav that's what it means for it. Veimaleh teref chora bishvil chora vontav terefa bishvil meonot meonot tav and even the rest of the pasuk and it fills its lair with. With prey that means for its uh, for its den for its lair that's going to kill it and uh, with teref with its teeth but then in order to bring it home and it'll fill up its den uh, with that which it which which it tore apart and so this is not for its immediate use and that's why it's doing it in an unusual way but in a usual way when it eats it does it by claws. Hold on, we have a baraita that seems to contradict this. And it says that uh, a wild animal, that would include a lion, that goes into the courtyard of a nizak and kills, that means with its teeth, an animal and eats it, you have to pay a full amount. So why should you have to pay a full amount? This is an unusual way of it killing, and therefore that should be considered goring. The answer is, This Baraita is talking about a case where the animal uh, tore, did tear it apart, it's true, with his teeth, but not to eat right away, but rather to leave it for later or for its, uh, for its uh, uh, kids. Um, and therefore that's a normal way, that's, that's a typical behavior to kill in order to leave it later. And therefore, since that's typical way of doing things, um, he is liable. Hold on. It says he ate it. It doesn't say he just killed it. He killed it and ate it. So this would be called an unusual way of eating. And the answer is, a kind of funny answer. Um, at first, uh, the uh, lion went and tore with his teeth because it wanted to leave it for later. Um, but then, as it were, after it tore it apart, it said, you know what? I'm kind of hungry. This kind of seems, uh, smells good. And then this changed its mind and decided to eat it. So even though it ate it by uh, tearing it with his teeth, initially it thought about 
uh, storing it, and therefore that was a normal behavior, and uh, therefore is chayav. Now we ask, how do you know what the animal was thinking? Did you interview it before and after and you asked it? Did you change your mind? Right? So how could you ever know that? And if you do assume that in any case that an animal goes and kills with its teeth, that maybe that was the normal way because it wanted to store it and only then it changed his mind. Uh, well, then in the case of Shemuel, Shemuel made a distinction. Maybe Shemuel's distinction then should not be true. Even if it tears with its teeth and then eats it, it should still be liable because it could be that when it tore, tore with, it, with its teeth, it was doing it to store it for later and only then changed his mind and therefore was acting in a normal way. And so if you think that, if you assume this, then you'll never... Uh, then, uh, first of all, you don't know, and then you'll have to take that into account in all cases, and then, then there would never be a uh, a case where you would make such a distinction. says, you have to explain the Mishnah as talking about two different cases. And it either uh, tore it, to with his teeth in order to leave for later or ate it in the normal way with by clawing it and 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 ate it either of those are are its uh, normal typical ways and therefore has to pay the full amount okay ravina amal ki shemuel ba'ari tarbut Ravina has a different explanation for Shemuel, and he says, listen, lions actually, they do eat, and always, they eat by, by tearing with his teeth, as we said before, that is a typical way for a lion to eat, don't tell me that's not, that's an atypical way to, for it to kill with his teeth and then eat it, and so instead, Ravina can explain Shemuel's statement, by assuming that Shemuel was talking about a domesticated lion. And we're following the opinion of Rabbi Al-Azad, who makes such a distinction between wild lions and domesticated lions, because Rabbi Al-Azad says, if it's domesticated, then it's not its way to go and uh, kill and eat other animals in any way. And therefore, if a domesticated animal should go in the Shut and kill uh, and do it, and even though it's in a way that's normal for wild animals, but this is a domesticated trained animal. So it's surprising that this, uh, this uh, uh, tame, t- tame lion went and killed something and tore it apart with his teeth. And therefore, it is, an un- it is in fact unusual. Uh, since it's unusual, that would be referred to keren. And uh, that would be in the Shu Tarabim. Ken the Shu Tarabim is Chayav. We ask, Well, if so, then it shouldn't make, a, make any distinction. Even if it clawed, which everyone agrees is the normal way for a wild lion to eat. Um, and there, Shemuel said, Patur, if it does it in a normal way, because that would be Shen. But if you're talking about a tame lion, then the tame lion, it's unusual for it even to eat in a way that's normal for a wild lion. And since it's unusual, uh, so then it would fall into Keren and should be liable. Uh, Rather, we got Shiravina's statement wrong. We thought he was commenting on Shemuel. In fact, no. Ravina was directly explaining the Baraita. The Braita above that said um, that a chaya, including a lion that goes into Hasad Hanizak, 
and uh, tears apart and eats uh, its flesh has to pay a full has to pay full damage. So why is that? That's what Avina was explaining, and he said that's talking about a tame lion. And he was following the opinion of Rabbi Azar that a tame lion, once it's tame, it's not its typical way to go and attack any an animal and eat it. And therefore, if it does go and do that, that's unusual. So therefore, it's a subcategory of keren. Keren b'rishut hanizak is liable. We ask about that. If it's in fact a tame lion, it should have the same law as a tame ox. And a tame ox in the Shutanizak, although according to the Bitarfon, has to pay full amount no, uh, no matter what, uh, according to Rabbanan, has to only pay half. And let's assume Rabbanan. So why then you should only have to pay half? So why is it saying that you have to pay in a, a full amount? Answer is the Iyad. So you got the case here. We have a lion that was tamed, and then it went and gored once, twice, three times. And so now it's a tame lion that became became forewarned. And so it still has the law of a tame uh, animal in the sense that going and killing is, is unusual for it, even though it already did this three times. Um, but still, it's not called Shen, in which case it would be its normal way, but rather it's called uh, Keren, which is its unusual way, and therefore it's unusual for it to, um, uh, to go and kill an animal in any way, and therefore is liable under Keren. Hold on, there's a Braita that's going to come up later on Daf Yotet that includes this case under a subcategory of Shen. But if it's talking about a tame animal, then it shouldn't be under Shen. Should be under Keren because it's an it's unusual activity for it. Kashya, and we end with a difficulty. You're right. It seems to be wrongly categorized according to this uh, this statement of uh, uh, this Ravina's explanation of that Baraita. Baruch Adonai Olam. Amen. Amen.